Hey, everybody, and welcome to CEO Sit-Downs, where I, John Cannell, your host, have sit-down conversations with CEOs from all walks and all industries to hear their stories, pick their brains, and learn from their experience. On today's show, I am happy to welcome J.P. Richardson. J.P. is the CEO of Exodus, a digital wallet that offers its users a safe and reliable way to take self-custody of their crypto assets. Talking to JP was a true treat for me, as I've been an admirer of his company for some time. And in this conversation, you're going to hear all about the origins of Exodus, JP's thoughts on the FTX bankruptcy, his company's unique stock offering, and much more. So, without further ado, I invite you to pull up a chair and listen in to my conversation with JP Richardson. Hey, JP, welcome to the show. Happy to have you. Hey, John, thanks for having me on your show. I'm really excited to be here. Well, thank you. I certainly appreciate you giving me some of your time today. Um, to get started here, why don't you just take us back to the beginning of your entrepreneurial journey and kind of lead us into how Exodus came along? Yeah, so I have I've started moonlighting businesses back in since 2006, uh, but it was 2000. 11, when I started paying attention to Bitcoin and crypto, it was actually more Bitcoin at that moment. Cryptocurrency wasn't really a thing in 2011. And then it was 2012 where I realized I have got to dedicate my life's work to this industry. And so I'm fortunate that at this moment in time, 2012, I was, I was an engineer at a biotech company. I had received, like, I sold a previous company that I had moonlighted. Um, this was back in 2009, 2010 timeframe. And so, you know, when somebody says, says that they sell a company, it can sound really glamorous. And at this for, it was a small, like iPhone app business. And so it was a small five figure sum that I had, but it was enough where I, I thought to myself, like, okay, now is the time to take the risk and, and jump off and actually build something in, in this industry. And so. I started again, it was about 2012. And I'm like, I, I want to figure out how can I contribute to this industry? What can I really do to make a difference? And, and I figured that, okay, I know what I need to do. I need to build software to make it really easy for people to actually hold and be the custodian, the custody, the custodian of their own funds. And we can talk about self-custody versus exchanges and custodial platforms later in this conversation, if you like. But what that means is that it essentially allows people to completely own and control their, their cryptocurrency. And so I started by building a mobile app called Coinbolt. That was the very, very first app that I built because I, I recognized that like I've got to make this easy and, and user-friendly. But given that I have an engineering background, I realized that I, I, I can't design software to save my life. And this became very clear in 2015 when I was out uh, in, in uh, Silicon Valley at a Bitcoin meetup and I was showing everybody, I was like, hey guys, look, I built this cool app, it's called Coinbolt. It's this Bitcoin app, it's a mobile app and there's not a whole lot of mobile wallets at this moment. Come download it and, and this, this guy, I'll never forget this, this guy comes up to me, he's like, hey JP, I gotta tell you something. It looks like a five-year-old designed your app. I'm like, oh, that is, that is savage, savage. But he was right, he, he was right in, in his comments. But that's what kind of kicked things off pre-Exodus. 
and uh, at least was kind of the seeds of, of how Exodus started. Awesome. Tell me, though, what, what first got your interest in Bitcoin? It, it all came down to seeing that, wow, there's actually a way for a person to send money to any other person in the world, and nobody can get involved, nobody can stop that. And it's permissionless, so anybody in the world can access this network, and it's censorship resistant, so once you submit money onto this network, nobody in the world can stop it. And oh, it's transparent as well, and you can see the transactions anywhere in the world. And it all started because I, this was, you know, with my entrepreneurial journey, one of the things that I wanted to do is I wanted to have an online business. And this was 2011. And I was thinking, I was like, okay, I'm going to, I'm going to sell things online. And so I, I you do what everybody does. You're like, I'm going to go sign up for a PayPal account. And then I'm going to sign up for a Stripe account. And you realize how much hassle it is. And then discovering Bitcoin and its ability and all the benefits that I just uh, listed off is when I realized like, holy shit, this is game changing, absolutely game changing. And you've taken that into the Exodus app because correct me if I'm wrong, you don't require any KYC information, no phone, no email address, none of that. It's been a while since I made my wallet. Is that still the case? So Exodus is, is a self-custodial platform that, and, and I think it makes sense to detour to talk just about what that really means. So sure. in, in the crypto world, and, and now every, every, this is going to be a big topic coming up because, and, and we'll probably talk about this later, everybody's seen how the media darling, uh, SBF, Sam Bankman-Fried, the CEO of FTX, one of the most revered, loved exchanges, unfortunately, just today, as we're recording this on Friday, November 11th, declared bankruptcy. So this exchange, what they do is people, what exchanges do is they are the custodian of your money. And so what that means is that for people that want to participate and do exchanges, you have to sign up for an account and you deposit your money like a bank. You deposit your money on these platforms and then you can do your trading. And a lot of people, just because it's convenient, will leave their money on these platforms. Unfortunately, what we saw today in the bankruptcy filing, that the whole entire FTX group, which includes FTX.com and FTX.us, and then their, their trading arm, which is Almeda Research, has a 10 to $50 billion liability. And so what it's looking like, and, and, and it's the, the, this is evolving so quickly, is that with customer funds, that people deposited onto the FTX platform with customer funds that they were, again, this is, it's not, this is not conclusive yet, but with customer funds, it looks like they were using customer funds to fund risky bets. So if you were a customer of, of FTX, FTX, what's looking like is that they were taking money and then going to fund risky bets, lending and collateralization and, and margin trading and all sorts of things is what they were doing. Now, Exodus is a custodial, a self-custodial platform. So what that means is that Exodus, the company, has no ability to take your money and go make these risky bets, gamble and, and treat your money as if it's a casino. 
We, we don't have that ability. So a, a person today can go to exodus.com and you can click on download and you can, you can choose your platform, whether it's your, for desktop, Mac OS, Windows, or uh, mobile on iPhone and Android, or in the browser extension, the Web3 wallet using Chrome or Android, you can just download and you can get started immediately by controlling your portfolio, managing your portfolio of money. And almost 3 million people use Exodus to manage their, their portfolio of assets. That's amazing. And I'm one of them. I'm one of those 3 million. Uh, that's so awesome. One, one thing, though, I'm curious, JP, because as you said, the whole FTX story has just been progressing this week. What I have found so interesting is that the news articles earlier in the week were saying their shortfall was like $4 billion. Today, I see it $8 billion. And now, I mean, you just said $50 billion was like the max of that range. What, what are your thoughts as someone who's a, a leader within the Bitcoin, the crypto space? What is your emotional reaction to all this? Okay, everybody's seen that uh, the 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 you know the climate change active activist uh, Greta uh, I forgot her last name but, Thornburg you know, Thornburg yes something? Greta Thornburg where you know it's it's uh, she says like how dare you right and it's that that's what my my reaction is when I think about this is because here's the thing again it's it's all the the facts are coming out really fast but it's still none of this is conclusive yet but. Or FTX and Alameda is, is Exodus' biggest investor. And so Sam and, and what he's built over the years has been impressive to watch. You know, he started, he started FTX, and this was, I think, uh, 2018, 2019 timeframe. And he grew it to a, the company the size that it was. And so he made... Uh, which is just a uh, well. If this is actually what happened, he made just a, a terrible, 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 more than a terrible decision of actually taking customers' money, and that's the 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 aspect of trust there and violating that trust is what kills me, because this ecosystem is all about empowering individuals, empowering people to be in control of their wealth. And for a company like FTX and like Sam, somebody who I trusted, I trusted, and, and, and here he is, he's out having uh, these, these debates about regulation and he's active uh, with, with lobbying and uh, you know in DC and talking about all of these things that the crypto industry needs to clean up to protect consumers. To have the the kahunis to go out in public and say consumers need protection, but behind the scenes, making these sorts of decisions again, if these if if this is actually what happened, that that is the part where it's 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 just terrible to think about all of the people that are going to be hurt by this. I mean, I've read, and again, this is all um, um, unsubstantiated at this moment in time, but I've read that employees, FTX employees, had their money on the exchange. The number of projects and companies that had their treasuries on FTX. 
I, and then, then the pension funds, I just, I saw a, a tweet about, I believe it was the Ontario teachers pension fund that had anywhere from 80 to $95 million invested in FTX. And it's all gone. It's all gone because of, of these terrible and, and dare, I, dare I say evil decisions. If again, if that's what really happened. And so I'm, I'm going to be interested to see how this all plays out, how this all transpires, what comes out in the bankruptcy proceedings. But yeah, uh, on an emotional level, given that the, re the relationship I ha you know, had with, with Sam and, and FTX and, and how I felt that they were one of the most trustworthy and reliable exchanges in this ecosystem, it's it's sad. It's a, it's a sad sad day, sad week for the industry and for all those people that lost money. It's just it's it's absolutely terrible and, and gut wrenching. Agreed. And I met I remember seeing something on Twitter. There were a number of folks asking if this was good for you know Coinbase or Binance, and I think their CEOs came out pretty bluntly and said this is not good for anyone. Um, but what are your thoughts, JP, on the regulatory consequences of what has transpired this week? What do you see U.S. regulators doing in the future? Uh, they they are looking like they want to move fast. And I understand because you, you never want to let a good controversy go to waste, right? If you're a regulator, like you want to you want to seize in the moment and, and move in now. The, the concern that I have is that the, the regulatory environment um, for crypto in the United States, it's it's already pretty heavily re regulated. And what a lot of people, I think, are missing in this equation is that FTX.com, FTX International, was an offshore entity. They were an offshore entity uh, regulated. They had, they had, I think, they domiciled in either the Bahamas or Antigua, um, and they had, you know, entities offshore all all over. And so. We have to be care. The United States has to be careful on on how they're going to proceed here because if they get hyper aggressive, my concern is is that what can happen is is that all of the innovation then stays offshore and you still have the risky behavior because with cryptocurrency you don't need an intermediary to process transactions. Like this is not the same as if I want to transfer. If I want to wire money to some European institution, right? It has to go through uh, US intermediaries first, right? And they have all of the regulatory checks in place and then it, then it gets wired over to the European institution. That's not how it works with crypto, right? With crypto, if there's some really risky company that, that sets up in the Bahamas or any other Caribbean nation, and they decide that you know we're just going to take money from anybody in the world. Um, that that becomes a, a big risk. And I think what the United States needs to do is have a very thoughtful approach on inviting companies to build here in the U.S., open our arms to innovation, but still require that if you are going to take possession of customer money, you cannot gamble with the funds. That's absolutely critical. So that's one that these that's a really important consideration. The the second important consideration that I'm concerned about is that in and, and this unfortunately is what it looked like uh, Sam was 
um, was campaigning for, and, and and I was willing to give him the benefit of the doubt at this moment in time that it was it was early in in the, how this was playing out, but it looked like he was campaigning against DeFi, decentralized finance, and it may be worth a little segue on talking about what decentralized finance is, but um, in in the process of campaigning against DeFi, it may make it so that self-custody becomes harder for people, right? So for companies like Exodus that empower you and 3 million other customers to control their assets, it may make it harder for companies like Exodus to operate if the US operates with such aggression in their regulatory stance. And so that's my major concern that they're gonna go way too far and say the whole industry needs to fit in an old legacy framework like the banking system, and, and it's going to just make things worse and push innovation outside the US and, and continue on with, with, I think, more risky behavior. Do you, see, do you see a future where, where we're, we're all on exchanges? I mean, you talked about being self-custody being harder, but I, I, I question that to a degree because if, if we have exchanges like FTX doing what they've done and things like that, it would be interesting to see the pendulum swing that way. So is, is there a particular particular uh, underlying cause that you think would motivate that or just just the na the nature of the regulatory world? Oh, I see. So you're you're asking do I see that if if there is swift regulatory action that that and that encompasses the whole entire industry that it forces people to go to exchanges? Is that what you're asking? Yeah, yeah, because I mean like you said, Exodus can't do anything with the funds I have on there. FTX obviously did, and it didn't end well. Do do you see where, where do you see that pendulum going? I guess. No, or, I, and why? I, I, and why? I actually I actually see it going the other way, regardless of the regulatory landscape. So let's 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 say, for example, that the United States says, okay, this whole entire industry needs to fit into the traditional framework. Of, of these strict regulatory, and we're gonna, we're gonna treat self-custody and exchanges exactly the same. It will kill self-custody in the United States. And so then if you want to participate in uh, cryptocurrency in the United States, then yes, what you, you would be forced to use these exchanges, which actually I think would make the problem worse longer. If the United States take, takes a more thoughtful approach and says like, okay, it's clear that these exchanges are the issue, the ones that are gambling with customer funds, let's put a framework in place to ensure that they cannot gamble with customer funds. I think that can do a lot of good. So we've seen, you know, FTX is this the, the latest one. And then last night, uh, BlockFi, which was a very big popular uh, platform for people to deposit their Bitcoin or cryptocurrency and earn yield, earn an interest rate. So last night, they said that they are suspending operations. Months ago, we saw Celsius, which was a big platform. They had over a million customers and they suspended operations. And then we saw Voyager, same thing. So I think what we're going to see is that, again, if the United States takes a thoughtful approach here, then we are going to see a push to 
self-custody. Because that's ultimately what we need to see in the, in the ecosystem and in the world. And that's why I started Exodus. The, the, whole, the whole name Exodus has a, 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 a meaning to it, right? A meaning of a, empowering people to escape escape from a traditional financial system, a financial system that isn't transparent, a financial system that is in control of one person, the Federal Reserve chairman that goes on and he talks about how he's going to change interest rates and the market will even re either react positively or negatively. It's controlled by a person, not by math. So this is a financial system that we need to get out of, we need to exit from. And we need to build a new financial system that empowers people and that is transparent and is open to anyone in the world. That's what needs to happen. I couldn't agree more. It, it blows my mind to a degree in a free market society that we espouse to have and all those different things that the price of money is controlled, is is determined by a governing board. I mean, that that's really the definition of oxymoron, if you will. Yes. Uh, it's hard to fathom. That said, let's let's take it a different way. I want to hear more about your company, JP, because Exodus has certainly had terrific growth over these last several years. Tell me more about your company, what exactly you guys do, your employees, all of that. Absolutely. So as I mentioned, close to 3 million people use and depend upon Exodus to manage their portfolio of cryptocurrency. And so Exodus was started in 2015. So as, as I mentioned earlier in our conversation, I realized like, oh, I, I can't design anything to save my life. And I met my co-founder, I think uh, Daniel Castanoli is his name. And, and he is, he in terms of design and expertise there, he has the, the background of designing experiences at Nike, BMW, Disney, Louis Vuitton, Apple. And so he he's designed all of these experiences for these big name brands. And so he and I teamed up. And I, and I actually, I, the way that I have even met him was uh, through a, a, a friend of a friend. And the, this friend of a friend back in 2014, he's like, you gotta meet, you gotta meet Daniel. You really gotta meet Daniel. He's he's really big into crypto and uh he's even you know mining bitcoins. I'm like, look, I go to the Bitcoin meetups in Nebraska. There's like three of us, and Daniel is not one of them. I don't even know who who you know who you're talking about. And so I, I ended up meeting him and I found out that I'm like, wow, yeah, this guy is he's really into crypto. And and so we start talking, and I realized like Coinbolt, my mobile app was not getting any traction whatsoever. And again, it, it all goes back to it just the experience sucked. So he and I both really loved to trade assets and speculate on assets. And we were using these exchanges. And so hot off the, the Mt. Gox uh, fiasco, and Mt. Gox was a big exchange that collapsed in 2013 because it was doing the same thing that, that FTX purportedly was doing. And then um, there was another big exchange, Bitfenix, that got hacked. And so it was just over and over and over again, people were losing money on exchanges. So we stopped and we asked ourselves, what if we built an experience where people could download the software to their Windows computer or Mac OS computer, 
and they could manage their portfolio of cryptocurrency. But not only manage their portfolio of cryptocurrency, they could decide to swap their their cryptocurrency from one to another. So in other words, let's say if you had Bitcoin and you hear or see Elon Musk tweeting about Dogecoin and you're like, oh my gosh, I feel like I really should get in this Dogecoin, although I just, uh, I don't think people should, but you know, if a person wants to, you know, whatever, okay? And so a person can uh, then easily swap inside of Exodus. So we started this journey in, in 2015 and uh, the first release of Exodus was on December 9th, 2015. And so since December 9th, 2015, we have released new versions of Exodus every other week since that moment in time. Now, we started this company, Daniel and I are both from Nebraska, and we're, we were thinking about, yeah, go Big Red, we were thinking about how to build a tech company of the future and what would that look like? And so we started remote only in 2015. We started, we're like, we're going to build this remote only from the beginning. Knowing, well, we headed a curve. Yeah. Well, knowing, knowing that this ecosystem, right, there, there were no major pockets for this ecosystem. Like, yeah, Silicon Valley looked like some innovation was happening in this ecosystem, but Silicon Valley at this moment in time still, for the most part, rejected this ecosystem. And so at the, like Miami was not a hotbed at that moment. And so we're like, let's, let's build a remote only company. But not only did we decide to build a remote only company, we decided like, we said, let's actually pay 100% of our salaries in Bitcoin. So what this enabled us to do is that we could recruit talent from all over the world. And we could, and, and, and since I'm, my background again is in, in, in engineering, software engineer, and I'm active on GitHub, and I'm already collaborating with other engineers, other software developers around the world, and I could see, okay, this person, they're really good. Let's, let's see if they would be interested in, in joining us. And I can just say to them, hey, are you uh, willing to get paid in, in Bitcoin? You like Bitcoin? Great. Let's get, let's get to work. And, and that's how we started. And so we started with that. And uh, yeah, over the years, uh, we, we grew the company. We released our mobile app, and that's definitely the, the most popular app. And then we had our, our crypto-only public offering with our stocks. We're the only United States company to do this and have our stocks on the blockchain, which we can talk about here in a little bit. And then in, in uh, 2022, we grew the company to a little over 300 employees in over 50 countries all over the world. And, and then on uh, fr Friday, unfortunately, last week, uh, you know, I, I personally, as a CEO, I allowed the euphoria of 2021 to really get the best of me and, and growth of all costs and made, made bad decisions of hiring too quickly up to that 300 uh, amount. So we, we reduced the workforce. Uh, we, we decided to reduce the workforce about 22% uh, on Friday of last week. And, and so uh, today we're just sitting with a little, a little over 200 people and and everybody is is feeling more motivated and energized than ever given this FTX fiasco. Um, but there there's a lot. And like I said, the the reggae, the public offering is a really interesting thing we could talk about. But there's just a lot of a lot of cool things I think in in the history of Exodus. Awesome. Well, JP, I want to share a quick story. So when I first got into Bitcoin, I didn't know what I was doing, and I got it on Robinhood. And Robinhood at the time, it wasn't a wallet. They didn't have that capability. So it was just sitting there. 
And it was because of Exodus that I was able to get from Robinhood to my Tracer wallet at the time because you guys had SegWit and Legacy. And Robinhood, I think, was only operating off of Legacy at that point. Mm-hmm. So I'd go Robinhood, Exodus, Exodus, Tracer, and that was it. So I owe you guys a debt of gratitude in that regard. But I'm curious, do you use the Tracer with Exodus desktop or do you use the, the, the Tracer software? And not to put you on the spot, I'm just curious to know. Yeah, so I use the Tracer software. Okay. Um, and then lately, I have you heard of Casa? Yes. Casa, I love Casa. Um, they make it super slick and easy for me to manage because I have my keys stored all over and whatnot. And yeah, I, I really enjoy their platform too. Yeah. And I think maybe for listeners, it would be interesting to take a, just a moment to, seg- to segue on uh, Trezor, Casa, and, and, and kind of maybe how they differentiate uh, between Exodus. So yeah, take it away. One, seriously. Uh, one, one of the things that, so there, there's uh, in the world of wallets, right? Self custodial, when, when you, when you hear the world, when you hear the word wallet, that is effectively the same as somebody saying self custody, you hold your keys. You control your keys. And there's this big phrase in the, in the industry where people will say, not your keys, not your coins, right? And so in the world of wallets, there are, there are uh, two types. There's, there's hot wallets and cold wallets, right? And so hot wallets, what that, what that means is that you are downloading software where your keys are on a uh, device that has access to the internet. And for most people, that's okay. Like that, that's okay because you still have control of your keys. But if let's say you, you download Exodus and you, uh, on your desktop computer, and let's say that, let's say you're like, you really get into cryptocurrency and it's your favorite thing. And you're like, I'm going to move all my money in cryptocurrency. Right. And everybody should do their own research and whether they think that's good risk or not. Right. I personally love cryptocurrency and I have a, a majority of my wealth is in crypto. Um, so everybody should be thinking about this. And so if a person decides to do that, one way that a person can protect themselves is by using a cold wallet, like a Trezor. And so what a Trezor will allow you to do is it is a device that looks like a USB stick and you can plug it into your, uh, your computer like a USB stick. And the keys, the private keys are actually stored on that device. So in other words, let's say, unfortunately, uh, you get a virus or malware on your computer. If you, uh, and and that can happen, right? If, If you tend to visit like nefarious websites or you pirate software or things like that, like then you run the risk of those sorts of things happening. And so if, if that happens to you and you have a Trezor, in that world, you would be protected from uh, the loss of, of your funds because the keys are on that Trezor and the software does not have access to those keys. And Ex- Exodus supports integration with the Trezor for people that, that want that kind of that level of protection. Now, in the future, where I see this industry going, I don't, I don't think that a lot of, we, we offer the Trezor or the cold storage ability for those that want it, but I don't think long-term that is going to be mainstream friendly. I don't see people like 
you know, like your, your mom or grandma who's like, yeah, I'm going to plug in this thing called a Trezor. And it's, I just, and maybe, you know, your grandma's not even going to be using cryptocurrency. Um, but that's the, the aim is to make it so easy so that your grandma could, if your grandma needed to. Right. And so what I think, what I, how I see this progressing is there is a, a different type of technology called multi-signature technology and multi-signature technology allows a person to take multiple devices. So you could have an Exodus wallet, like on your mobile phone, and then you could have an Exodus wallet on your desktop, your Mac OS or Windows desktop. And let's say that you were going to send money or transfer money, then you would have to approve of that transfer on both devices. And so that's that's technology that uh, some some platforms support it. I don't think there's any platforms that do the user experience very well, but uh, this is something that we are looking to support because again, at the end of the day, we have got to make cryptocurrency go mainstream. And part of the way to do that is to make self-custody easy. And now when you think about a mainstream person downloading a wallet, and having to think about a weird 12-word secret phrase, like that's just, that's so, that's so foreign to people. So we've got to solve still a lot of problems to make self-custody easy, to make wallets easy and, and self-custody preferable to that of exchanges. Agreed. 100% agreed. Because when it comes to my grandma, she calls it Bitcom. So we have a long ways to go there, JP. We have a long ways to go. Hey, but at least she's aware of it. You know, at least she's aware of it. And in time, maybe she'll she'll embrace it. Oh, yes. And when that price sinks, she likes to t remind her grandson where it's at. So it's quite comical. That, oh, man. And then that, you know what? That And that's going to, over the next couple of weeks, that's that's so going to happen. And and it's like, as a, as a quick aside, when it comes to trading and markets, you know, the advice that's been given in the past that like when it hurts to buy, like when you feel physically sick to buy, is probably when you know you're close to the bottom and maybe that's actually a good time to put a little bit in. Um, but you know, when you're, when the taxi driver is talking about, uh, you know, Hey, you heard of this thing called Bitcoin, you should go consider buying Bitcoin. Um, that's when you should probably consider, uh, consider, uh, taking some, some profits and selling. Yeah. Beware. Yep. Um, and there's been no shortage of that either. I mean, lots of blood in the streets lately when it comes to the Bitcoin world, the crypto world. Um, and well, well, you, you expect to see more of that here in the next several weeks, you said? Yes, yes, I think so. I think, you know, with, with the collapse of FTX and knowing that, as I mentioned earlier on this conversation, BlockFi, BlockFi, you know, announcing yesterday that they are uh, suspending operations. Given that BlockFi, you know, FTX came to BlockFi's rescue earlier because they got in trouble earlier with lending their money out and risking lending. Yes, I suspect that um, over the next few weeks, we are going to see more and more projects, companies, and big names come out and say that they were affected by this and that they're going to uh, they're going to be hurt by this. Um, it's kind of, it's you know it's depending upon a person's perspective on on uh, famous athletes, but it is kind of sad to see that even though the memes are some they're kind of funny, um, where the like the Tom Brady meme because Tom Brady apparently had 
650, like a, a good chunk of it, $650 million in FTX, FTX as an investment in FTX. And then the memes are coming out that Tom Brady's gonna have to play until he's, you know, like 70. Uh, and so it's, it's, it, the memes are funny, but uh, it's sad when you really think about a person actually, you know, regardless of who you are, whether you're Tom Brady or anybody that you, that you lost money in this. And so, yeah, I think over time, we're going to see the contagion of FTX is going to be spread out much further than we can imagine, go much further than we can imagine. And I, who knows, who knows how this even touches the traditional financial system? Who knows what financial institutions and their trading desks were invested in FTX? How many of them took clients' money as a part of their own uh, trading and, and hedge funds and risk and decided that because, yeah, FTX seems well-regulated, FTX and, and Sam seems very trusted, we're going to put, we're going to park this billion dollars into FTX. That's going to come out. That's going to come out over the next, I, I'm going to guess the next month or so. And so this isn't over. This is not over. And unfortunately, in the short term, it is going to be bloody. I don't on, on a market price. I think you know the, earlier this morning, Bitcoin was like sixteen thousand five hundred. Who knows? Who knows how low this could go? I I, I don't. I, who knows? Who knows? But it could get a lot worse. Yeah, anything's on the table in that regard. And talking about the contagion and the second derivative and third derivative effects, I mean. That has some very ominous sounds of 2008 and Lehman and all those different things in it. So we'll see what lies ahead there. Yes. But really quick, JP, I want you to tell us more about your unique uh, stock listing uh, uh, platform, how you do that, because you're, you're not listed on exchange, but you're listed on the blockchain, rather. Tell, tell us more about that, because I find it very interesting. Yes. So th this is, I, I, to me, this is one of the most innovative things that nobody talks about. And it is cool that, that today Exodus is the only company in the United States that has our stock tokenized on the blockchain, our common stock tokenized on the blockchain. So it's available to both accredited and retail investors. And what we did is we, we did this through a framework called the, the Regulation A plus offering. And so this was SEC qualified. And so the, this is very similar to an IPO. And, and the process in terms of the, everything you've got to do is, is very similar. So we had to have all the audited financials. We had to submit a 200 plus page document to the SEC. And, 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 and before this, this inside baseball, we had to have an eight hour call with the lawyers going through the entire document and, and going line by line through everything. And so it was absolutely grueling to create these. Um, but yes, we so we submitted this document to the SEC on uh, this was sept uh, the timeline was September of 2020 is when we submitted it, and so there was a lot of back and forth with with the SEC on this, and eventually the doc the the Regulation A plus offering was qualified by the SEC in early April of 21, and so what this allowed us to do is directly inside of Exodus. You could download Exodus Mobile or Exodus Desktop, and you could invest in Exodus, Exodus Movement Inc., the company, You could have with, with cryptocurrency. And it was a cryptocurrency-only offering. 
So you could either use Bitcoin, Ethereum, or USDC. There were no wire transfers. There were no uh, credit cards or anything of that nature. It was purely, purely a crypto transfer, or crypto, crypto offering. And so we raised $75 million doing this. And, um, and, we, and what, we, what was really cool about this is, again, this was inside our software. And so the way we were thinking about this is that this empowers our customers to get a, a chance or a stake in our success before that of Wall Street. Because we knew that there was going to be no Wall Street banker that's like, yeah, I'm going to download Exodus and I'm going to do the investment in Exodus. We, we just knew that wasn't going to happen. But we knew that our crypto native customers may be interested in this. And so we started with this. And so then we, we, we had the offering. This was in, in, in April. And the offering is a little bit different than an IPO in the sense of it's, it's, it's considered like a, a smaller IPO because you're limited by the SEC rules and regulations at $75 million. So you cannot take any more than $75 million. So we were, we were limited to $75 million. And so we closed the offering it was the, we closed the offering in early May is when we closed it. And we, and we, we raised the 75 million. And then what happens is we, were, we opened up trading of the stock on another platform. So this one, we had to work with our partners. So there's, there's two platforms today where our stock trades. And it trades on T0 and securitized markets. And so the stock ticker today is EXOD, and it's really cool. Like you can go to Yahoo Finance, you can type in EXOD, and, and you can see this is an actual stock that actually, like I said, is tokenized on the blockchain. It's tokenized on the Algorand blockchain. So what's also cool about this is that when you have the stock in Exodus Wallet, because you can, you can pull it out of Securitize, you can pull it out of T0, and you can have it in your Exodus Wallet. But you can transfer it, assuming that you, you know, you're signed up to securitize, you can transfer it then, like you and I can transfer excess stock with each other, uh, assuming I wasn't a um, you know, majority stockholder. And, and if I'm, say I'm somebody else that holds excess stock, I'm not JP, the CEO and founder. We could transfer stock with each other, like as if we were sending crypto on the blockchain. So... I see this, we see this as the future of how equities and stock are going to work. We're just really early to the game. But there's, this opens up so much possibilities in blending a world of stock, equity, with VIP programs, loyalty. Nobody's done that yet. Nobody's done the ability to pay. Like the blockchain allows us, like we could, this is really cool. So all stockholders that hold the actual stock in the tokenized form on the Algorand blockchain. If we were to pay a dividend, let, let's say someday, we, we don't have plans to do this at this moment, but let's say someday we're like, we are going to pay dividends every minute. We could do that. Like the blockchain allows us to do that. It allows us to pay dividends every minute. Because right now, if you get dividends, you got to wait every quarter. The technology exists today that you can, you can get paid every minute. We could say, okay, and, and this is, we, you know, we have to, there's some legal parameters here, but we could say, okay, for stockholders that hold Exodus stock on the Algorand blockchain, we could then say, 
you are VIP, you're part of our VIP program, and now we're going to give you extra benefits. And so there's a lot of cool possibilities here, and, and we just think that we're scratching the surface. And we think that in time, you know, as the world continues to embrace self-custody, and as Exodus grows from 3 million to 10 million to 50 million customers, Exodus itself can be a viable platform for other companies to go public on. So, you know, people think today of like, oh, we're going to go public on the, the NASDAQ or we're going to go public on the New York Stock Exchange. In the future, we would love it for people to be like, we're going to go public on Exodus. Like that's a possibility that, that this technology enables. Now, us as a company, given that this stock, it is, it's, it's a common stock available to retail, we still have a plan to uplist on the New York Stock Exchange as well so that it is in both places. So a person could still go to their traditional brokerage in Fidelity or where Robinhood or wherever it is and still buy excess stock in that traditional way if they wanted to. But there has been no possible way for a company, like once that happens, then it's cool because then you could like, yeah, you can hold that same stock in your Fidelity account or you can hold that same stock in your, in your Exodus wallet, what do you want to choose? So uh, there's a lot of exciting possibilities here. To your point, that is innovation no one is talking about. If they have, I haven't heard it. So props to you guys. Applaud your efforts. That's really amazing. Last thing, JP, because I know we don't have much time left. Before we got started, uh, we were talking about the fact that we technically both work for and Exodus. You work for Exodus, the wallet. I work for Exodus, the 90-day Catholic spiritual exercise for men. We were talking about spirituality. Mm -hmm. Tell me about your spiritual journey, because you said you'd gone from an atheist to a Catholic. Mm -hmm. Take us away. Yeah. Okay. Good question. So I was, I was born, I was, yeah, I was born and raised Catholic. Um, I went, I went to uh, Catholic schools my, my entire life. And it was, it's about 2015 where uh, I would say is when I, I kind of turned more towards atheism. And I don't mean like the nihilistic atheism. I, I, don't, I, don't, I don't mean that. It was more, um, it's, it's not, it's, uh, to me, like looking back on it, it's not coincidental with the struggles that I was facing. So there's, there's a story here that I think is worth telling. And the story is this, uh, back in 2015, I had only uh, like like maybe like three thousand dollars in my bank account like that's literally like it's all that i had uh, to my name and i uh i'm married and at that moment in time i i uh just had one child i've got four today um but at that moment in time i had one and uh i had another one on, on the way and you know we had we, we had you know started exodus but I didn't have much money, and the, but the only thing that I owned at this moment in time was my. I had this 2000 Toyota Camry. Her name was Goldie, right? And I, I love that car like you'd love like a like an, an old dog or whatever, right? And so here it is. Here I am, and this is this is the day after Thanksgiving, and I just kind of you know park my car in front of the house, and, and I'll, I'll forget this. The the roads were <laughs> they were so icy, and. You know, I'm sleeping and, and, and I get a knock on my bedroom door. My, my, my mother-in-law was staying with us at the time for the holidays. And, and she's like, hey, JP, um, I hate to tell you this, but, but someone hit your car. And I'm like, oh, no, okay. And, and the, the person was really nice or whatever. And, 
they hit my car and I was like, this is the only thing that I owned was that, was that car. And I remember, I'm like, I gotta, I gotta, I gotta move my car. And it was so cold out that I couldn't move it. The handle was frozen shut. I'm like, well, the car's, it's already kind of effed up as it is now. Um, and so sure enough, uh, someone knocks on my door that afternoon and, and they're like, oh, I just saw somebody hit your car and drive off. And I'm like, oh, no. And I, I remember just breaking down crying and, and just thinking like, I have, I have nothing. The only thing that I owned was uh, just destroyed and taken from me. Now, the, the silver line, and around this time is when, and I don't know if it was, it was exactly before this when I, when I kind of switched over to atheism, and it was more because I felt like abandoned by, by God. There was like this feeling of like abandonment. And, um, but, but the silver line in the story is, is that because my car got hit, the insurance company totaled it out and it gave me enough cash to survive and make it a few more months. I just needed to make it a few more months and I survived. And it took, it, it took years and years and years and years where I was, I, again, I was still, uh, I was, I would say more atheist. Um, and again, not in the nihilistic sort, because I would still like, feel like I would have kind of conversations with a guy like, Oh God, I, I would love to believe again. Just, but I don't want to believe. I do not want to believe if it requires the hurt or suffering of my family. I remember saying that. And I remember saying, I would rather, rightly or wrongly, I remember saying, I'd rather die and go to hell and not believe as opposed to inflicting pain and suffering upon my, my, my children or, or my wife. And so, um, as, as time uh, progressed, and I, I just, I, I will never forget this moment as well. Um, this was before the offering was qualified with the SEC. And again, like these, these time, this timing on this is, is it's, not, it's obviously in retrospect, it's not coincidental, right? I remember, I think it was March, and we were having so much struggles trying to get this thing off the ground. And it was so painful so much work and, and just, you know, we weren't even sure if it was going to work. Like in March of 2021, we were not even sure if it was going to work. And it was all, all this pain, all this pain and suffering uh, for months would have been worthless for nothing. But I remember waking up in the middle of the night. I remember, I remember I started crying and I remember thinking about how I'm strong enough to handle this all regardless. I, I, I'm, no matter what happens, I'm strong enough to handle this. And I can handle this. I'm capable of handling this. And I don't know what the success is going to look like. Maybe the reggae doesn't happen. I, I don't know. I don't know what's going to happen. But I do know that I can handle this and get through this. And I know that I not only can I, I must. I have to. I have to get through this. I have no other choice to get through this. And I have to find a way to get through this. So these were, these were tears of joy. It was not tears of sorrow. It was tears of joy. And I don't know like where that inner strength came from, but it felt like it came from nowhere. It's just like, bam, there's this inner strength, this, this awakening, this resurgence. And I remember thinking like, oh my gosh, is, is this a belief? Is this, is this a, a divine force that's helping? I don't know. I, I, I still don't know. But I remember that was a turning point for me where my mind opened um, again, and, and to the possibilities and the spirituality of, of, of God and, and uh, his grace and his existence and, and, and those sorts of things. And, and not that I like, 
like we, my, my family and I, we, 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 we attend church on Sundays. Um, and, and so, cause there was years, years, I, you know, I didn't go to church at all. And so we attend church on Sundays. Um, but I, yeah, I'm still like, you know, I still, the, the, the faith aspect, like there's a lot of things that are, that, that Catholic listeners like transubstantiation and stuff might be like, Oh, I understand that struggle. And, and, and there's, there's, I have that stuff too. Um, so, so yeah. And, and now I consider myself a, a believer again, and, uh, it's been, it's been quite, quite the journey. How wonderful. Thank you for sharing. I really yeah. appreciate it. And yeah, maybe you'll take a venture into my exodus as I've taken a venture into yours. Uh, but anyway, thank you so much, JP. I know you're a busy guy, got things to do, places to be. If you would, really quick, give everyone listening a handoff where they can learn more about you, about Exodus. Yep. So uh, you can just head over to Exodus.com and you can learn all about Exodus. Uh, if you want to connect with me personally, Twitter.com forward slash JP Richardson. Uh, I don't I don't tweet as much as I think that I should. And but I, I that's where you can connect with me. And that's where you can hear of, of any important thoughts or, or anything that's crazy that's, that's happening with Exodus. So so, yeah. Awesome. Well, thank you, JP. I can't tell you how much I appreciate it and hope you have a good rest of your day. Thank you, John. Thank you for having me on the show. I really enjoyed this conversation. You bet. Take care. Take care. Whether you allowed us to keep you company on your ride home from the office, during your workout, or as you were getting ready for the day, I appreciate you taking the time to listen to this conversation. Be sure to subscribe and follow CEO Sitdowns on whatever podcast platform you use, and I'd really appreciate it if you could leave a review, as it helps others find the podcast in the future. And if today's episode called to mind a friend or a family member who you think would really enjoy today's conversation, go ahead and share this episode with them. I'd certainly appreciate it, and hopefully, they will too. Thanks again for listening, and may you have a pleasant day, wherever you may be.